everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of battle of the atom this is the weekly podcast about x-men where we rank every x-men story from a to z i'm adam and i'm zach and adam yes we've got such a big episode don't we <laughs> we have got the battle royale of battle royales today in three different generations we we do we have just Eons and eons of comic book history coming together for a fight between the largest media property in Marvel history and also, I guess, the Avengers who had everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I say Marvel history. I I do mean actually in the past, obviously in the present. Uh, the X-Men are a top 10 t- film franchise in the world going up against number one with a bullet. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. If there's really much competition uh, on that part, but I think in comic book land, uh, X Men is definitely a more powerful force than the Avengers. Generally, am I wrong there from a sales I mean, perspective? Historically, so this is actually interesting to put in perspective as we get into our first story. Uh, but historically, the Avengers were like they were kind of big in the '60s. They were bigger than the X Men, but once the Claremont stuff really got going. The X-Men took off and the Avengers were Marvel's B characters. Like they yeah. were not the big guns. It wasn't Hulk. It wasn't uh, Spider-Man. It wasn't even Silver Surfer or the Fantastic Four who traditionally did better in mass media stuff. And they sure weren't the X-Men. And what's what's interesting is a couple of things happened. One in what, 2001, 2002, when the Ultimates came out, that really refreshed the Avengers for a new generation. Mm-hmm. But then more so when uh, – not Grant Morrison. Blech, he never wrote Avengers. Uh, when Brian Michael Bendis did his Avengers Disassembled and New Avengers run where he said, hey, you know how the Justice League is all of the best characters from DC? We need to make the Avengers that. And he put Wolverine yeah. <laughs> and Spider-Man on the team and it works super well. Yeah, it does. So that combined – you know, even that going in, the Avengers – were still not as big as the X-Men. They were just a the an A-list team now. And that sure. changed when Avengers the movie came out. The mm-hmm. same summer as our first story on this list. And that story is AVX requested by Amir Allen. So first off, before we jump into all of this Avengers fighting X-Men content, I want to thank Amir because he went over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. He pitched in a couple of bucks every month and he got an entire episode crafted, handcrafted around a suggestion of his choice. And I think this may be the most number of issues we've both read for a single story on this list. And (laughs) I think so. We did that by accident. For an episode. Oh my gosh. We made so many bad choices. Uh, so, Hey, you remember, you remember when we did IVX and I said that it was going to take a little bit to get through it. Yes. Cause <laughs> boy. Oh, uh, well, this is twice as long. So, um, more than twice up. as long. Uh, so 
this was written by committee. <laughs> well, that's fascinating is how many writers, how many writers, how many artists on this thing? It's so nuts. not counting the infinite comics, which are part of it on unlimited. And we just read with it. There are mm-hmm. five writers, Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction, Jason Aaron, Ed Brubaker, and Jonathan Hickman, all of which are pretty good at comic books. <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of all taking turns uh, scripting here. If I'm reading the credits correctly, like yep, each one they is all rotated. featured. Yeah. Okay. So that that's an idea. And we've got three different artists on these 12 issues. That would be John Romita Jr., Olivier Coipel, and Adam Kubert. You also have uh, Frank Chow doing uh, the Zero issue. Yes, which you could probably skip. You know, it's not you could. essential. Here's the thing. Let's start with that Zero issue, because the Zero issue is about two characters, Scarlet Witch and Hope Summers, only one mm-hmm. of which is actually kind of an important, like a really important central character in this story. The other one is a plot device. You could argue that both of them are plot device. <laughs> I think one story. of them gets a. I think Hope gets a heck of a lot more characterization than Wanda oh, does sure. in this entire series. Sure. Wanda's basically used as a weapon in this uh, in this series. Like she's she's um, garlic to the vampires in this series. You know, right? But we should talk about what this book is. Leading up to this, we've got this promise that Hope is the mutant messiah, right? Right. Um, and Cyclops is in has formed Utopia. And is training Hope super hard to become the whatever, right? Yeah, like, whatever she's going to be, he's going to help her out. Yeah, he doesn't know. Yeah. He doesn't know. And then uh, what happens? <laughs> well, what happens is the Phoenix Force shows up on the Avengers radar. And they say... Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> yes, that's the noise they make because somehow they've been missing <laughs> since 1980. When Jean Grey first appeared with it, which, by the way, guys, look, let's start with the fact that a lot of this book doesn't actually work with canon and we're just going to have to move forward with it. But the Phoenix Force has been like a going concern in X-Men comics well after Dark Phoenix Saga and in some pretty prominent places. Everyone's forgetting that in this book, like... Well, no one even acknowledges it at all. It's basically as if Jean Grey was the only host and that it just dropped off the map and we never saw it again until this moment in 2012, which is utterly ridiculous. Um, So let's get in. Let's skip this for a second, because we should probably just give a brief description of what happens. Oh, fine. Uh, Anyway, the Avengers say, well, well, Let's see. No, the Avengers don't say anything. Captain America goes to his good buddy Wolverine and says, Wolverine, uh, you're an X-Man type. And we know this fire chicken is coming. You know, you know what it's coming for? And he says, yeah, it's coming for hope. Duh. Everyone knows that she has red hair. So (laughs) he says, well, then we need to do something about that. So Captain America goes to the sovereign mutant nation of Utopia, whose sovereignty is frankly questionable to say the least but you know the little, little, little questionable he goes and confronts cyclops and says hey bud uh we need to kidnap this child and cyclops <laughs> says no the phoenix is coming obviously so we're gonna let this thing that did corrupt and kill my wife we're gonna let this thing take over hope because that's gonna fix everything, regardless of the fact that that's not how the Phoenix works, and that's not how the Phoenix has ever actually worked. 
but let's take everyone's logic aside because again everyone's in the wrong here anyway there's a big fight <laughs> and then blah 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 hope runs away the x-men try and find her they end up on the moon tony stark makes this big robot to try and stop the phoenix and it doesn't work and it diverts the phoenix from hope and instead sends it into the phoenix five of yes. cyclops emma frost namor and the rasputin siblings p e n i s <laughs> spell it with me everybody the acronym of all time all right sorry i had to, Peter, I had to go there emma namor eliana god oh guys yeah guys i love it (laughs) um yeah so we get phoenix five uh so all five of them are corrupted they remake the world into uh, essentially a utopia and then each of them begins to declares himself god king of the world we all need to remember that point when we start talking about cyclops and his correctitude he does go to the un and say I rule the world now. Don't fight, which is an objectively good thing to do. Don't fight. <laughs> but maybe his methods were flawed and bad. Because yeah. like Barack Obama shows up and he says, yeah, guys, Utopia is good. But he did just take over the world like a supervillain. Like we mm-hmm. are all aware of what happened. <laughs> anyway. And thus anyway. lots of fighting and trying to. Oh, wait, we forgot the Kung Fu angle. Uh, because yeah, defeat- hope goes to become an iron <laughs> fist, which is just yep. out of the that's out of the blue. That that is the weirdest part of the story is that he she has to go to Kunlun to uh, become an iron fist to defeat Scott. It's something that uh, Bendis was playing up in his new Avengers tie ins to this, but it doesn't make much sense and it doesn't work because <laughs> because the the Iron Fist stuff doesn't really matter because they find out that, oh, Wanda's chaos magic uh, is the, you know, the water gun to the Phoenix Five's fire that kind of throws them off in this Pokemon triangle of power moves and ends up, you know, saying, oh, well, we should train with Wanda. Maybe she can be our secret weapon. Meanwhile, Namor goes a little nuts with power, floods Wakanda, and then he gets all of his Phoenix powers taken away from him. And then anyway, all the Phoenix powers go to Scott by the end of this thing. And then he kills Professor Xavier, who decides to show up. And then he gets stopped. But then, by the way, all new mutants appeared everywhere. And I think we spent like six minutes trying to explain the plot of this very long event. Yeah, um, this is a year's worth of content crammed into six months. And we're not even going to touch all of the crossover mm-hmm. stuff that happens because there's, you know, all of these individual battle issues that accompanied this event. Um, yeah. Oh, so. by the way, we, we're not talking about them in this, but Avengers versus X-Men, which is the fights book, is actually super fun. There's some cool stuff in there. Um, but uh, this is this is a wild scope. All right. Let's let's just rewind for just a quick moment about Rachel. Um, it is incredibly frustrating that they do not mention even once that Rachel hosted the Phoenix for what, 10 years in continuity. Um, And not only that, but Rachel appears briefly in this story only to be used as sort of like a Cerebro to try and find where hope is. And that's her only scene. It's incredibly annoying 
I like to imagine. I like to imagine that Rachel heard from Scott saying, "Hey, uh, the Avengers think that the Phoenix is going to destroy the world." And she said, "No, that that Firebird was my friend for a while. <laughs> mom, mom did some weird stuff with it, and it didn't go well. But me, me, and me and Big P over there, we cool. We cool." Everyone's like, "We don't know what to do about the Phoenix. Like, give." Rachel a call. Let's talk to Rachel and see if she's got any advice for us. Not even uh, just nope. Rachel. Jean in New yeah. X-Men was fully Phoenix powered. And she was like, yeah, we're good, guys. I got it. I yep. got this. Yeah. So the, the concept Phoenix has showed up in two big summer events. Yeah. In the, like the 10 years before this in Phoenix and Song and War Song. Like you do have to ignore no those entity. things. You do have to ignore those things. And you also have to really kind of grit your teeth at the idea that Cyclops is obsessed with the idea that the Phoenix is going to lead to this huge rebirth and that it links up with with Hope's mutant messiah. It just I think we talked about this in the Phoenix episode, but the idea of the Phoenix coming back and back and back and back is a trope that I don't particularly enjoy very much. Mm -hmm. Um, And it. Uh, it feels very tired here. However, I will say that I have a very soft spot for the Phoenix five. And I think that it's a really fun idea and it may not be executed perfectly, but I, that element of the story, I really like, I like the Phoenix five in the uncanny X-Men tie-ins. I like the Phoenix five in the Avengers Academy tie-ins. I like the Phoenix five in a lot of stuff. I don't particularly like them here. Okay. The, the thing about it is they one, there's a larger thing about everyone with the Cyclops with was right movement and all this stuff. And I want to say, I'm saying this literally wearing the Jay and miles Cyclops resist t-shirt that I have. (laughs) So don't get it twisted. I think revolutionary Cyclops is a pretty neat idea and it has some of my favorite comics from it. Sure. Cyclops in this very thing says, Oh no, I was wrong several different times. He openly admits, I made some bad choices. And then calling himself God King of the World, probably not the best plan. No, no. I mean, the idea that I guess the the central conflict that comes out of this is that Charles is dead um, and whether Scott was in control of himself, whether he was corrupted. But just from the instant that they become the Phoenix Five, they immediately jump into remake the world God mode. Um, you know, it, I realize there's still a, a conflict there. You know what I mean? And, and whether he's guilty or not is an interesting premise for future stories. Mm-hmm. But right off the bat, they're villains, you know, yeah. despite anything good they might be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about the death of Charles Xavier here for a second. Sure. Because... I am of the opinion of that's super unearned. It, mm-hmm. He shows up for like four or five pages during issue six or seven. And yep. then he shows up in 11 to be like, hey, Scott, you got to stop, man. I love you. You got to chill. This whole being the overlord of the world, Dr. Doom thing you got going on is not a great look for mutants. Are you dumb, kid? Let me help you. And then he says, you're not my real dad and kills him. Yep. You're not my dad. It's not earned. And I'm okay with Charles Xavier being dead, 
but it's not earned and it feels tacked on. And I, we know that it's like a thing that happened late in the game because uh, Age of Ultron, which came out very soon after this, that Brian Michael Bendis, one of the writers on this book, was writing, had to redraw and re- have issues redrawn and things rescripted to take Charles Xavier out of that story because Charles Xavier died super late in the game. It feels tacked mm-hmm. on because it really was. Well, he's not part of the story. You know, if you read the rest of the crossover, he pops in and like, like you said, it's it's a cameo appearance. So it's still a very. I, I just I think this is a good opportunity to talk about the art a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, I I am blown away by Koi Pell's issues on this. They are absolutely stunning. They are gorgeous. Um, I think it's really cool when you're reading the first half of the story how we switch from Romita to Koi Pell when mm-hmm. they become the Phoenix five um, between issues. JRJR is doing a, a very sort of blocky, you know, his normal blocky style. Um, his stuff doesn't feels, work as well for me. The JRJR stuff doesn't, doesn't hit. It feels a little rushed. Um, mm-hmm. I will say though, that the weakest component of this is Kubert feels extra rushed really? in getting his issues done. Really, because I think the Kubert uh, Spider-Man issue might be my favorite like single issue out of all these. I think Koi Pell is probably a better like I like Koi Pell as an artist more, but I think Kubert does a real good job on the stuff he's given. So I I I think that's an interesting uh, take on it. Well, let me let me clarify. Um, Kubert is obviously I think he's doing an amazing job with the breakdowns. His page layouts are great. Um, when I say that he seems rushed. If you go back to like his uh, the first couple issues, let's say of Ultimate X Men, mm-hmm. he renders his artwork, I think, a little bit more um, intensely than what you're seeing here. You know, the, there's there's page count here that he's got to do, and what seems to be a short period of time, and it doesn't seem to have JR JR is the same way. Um, it doesn't seem to have the same polish and finish on it. Um, maybe partially who's doing inking with them, um, and especially in number twelve. We have, I think there's some extra, it's not just Cuber, right? Don't we have some other artists in on this book on the 12th issue? I see. would have to pull that up. I just have the okay, trade so information. It's Cuber in front of pencils, um, but we have three different inkers coming mm-hmm. in. So, you know, that's not there's, <laughs> there's some variety there and it doesn't feel like Adam Cuber on certain pages, depending on who's inking him. Um, and we've seen this happen in other crossover events where there's a publishing schedule and they just can't fit it all in, um, with these amazing artists. So I, I think that that is a weakness for, for the story itself. Uh, cause you read, I, I, and this is how I want to come back to that, that death of Xavier scene. It's so beautiful. The artwork in that issue is absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous, frameable stuff. Um, but I agree that as a story beat, it doesn't really work. Um, so Maybe we should start thinking about this like as a whole. I mean, we, we what have do you to. think about this? Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm mixed. So when I this was one of the stories that when I was getting into comics, I picked up the trade and I devoured it. Mm-hmm. It's an immensely fun and readable thing. I, I would actually I would I would put it real similar to something like a Civil War or a Batman Hush. They are sure. stories that. If you're a deep, long-time reader with 
a encyclopedic knowledge of the characters and the continuity and comic book tropes, you're going to get real, real frustrated real, real quick with those books. That being said, Avengers versus X-Men, Civil War, Batman Hush, those are books I would hand to someone who's like, man, I'm real interested in superheroes because it's going to give you what you think you want out of things. When you first read it, if it's one of your early things, you're going to really enjoy it because it is a blockbuster. It's got so much going on. It's got all of your faves. It's got some interesting plot points, well-developed or not. Mm -hmm. But it falls apart under deeper critical examination. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of encapsulating it. I, too, um, read this at a time when I was getting back into comics and I loved it. But now that we've been doing the show and I'm I'm a little bit deeper into uh, the fandom, uh, you know, there's a little bit when, when you hold this up to the light and scrutinize it, um, you know, it, it has less of its blockbuster appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like, I feel if you gave this to a fan, there's a reason that there are people out there that are pining for like this to be a movie. Maybe not. This, this would be setup, such a bad movie. Like, oh, it'd be a terrible be movie. So bad. But, yeah. But but the idea of it. You know what I mean? Like if I pick this up in a Barnes and Noble and I haven't read these characters in a while and I'm like, whoa, look at these teams and they're kicking the crap out of each other. Like there's a fun element of that to the book that that does work. Absolutely. Um, So um, we have a couple other big crossovers on our list. Uh, At 61, we have House of M. Um, Trying to think of what other. I'm going to throw this out here because I think it's very comparable. Uh, number 69, nice on our list, is our namesake, Battle of the Atom. Battle of the Atom, yeah. Is this better or worse than Battle of the Atom? That, I think, is a very tough question. Battle of the Atom is fun. It has really cool components like uh, the Future Brotherhood. Artistically, it's very uneven. And story-wise, it kind of treads water a little bit in places. Um I mean, I'll give credit where credit is due. AVX is throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Not all of it mm-hmm. sticks, but there is some really cool stuff happening here that, especially in the Koi Pell issues, is stunning, at least to look at. Um, but, you know, it's it's it feels more like a popcorn fluff movie that you don't have to, you know, I'm trying to think of what I'm well, trying to say here. It ain't Tolstoy. No. You know what I mean? One one thing that I found interesting while I was going through it is AVX is objectively a very long comic like run. It's 12 issues plus of just the core story. Yeah. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. it feels it feels slow in some places like it takes too long to get to the Phoenix five. It really does, because the the first half of this is a lot slower, a lot less interesting. But then all the elements that they use for the culmination of the story aren't well developed. The, uh, the Charles Xavier we already mentioned is not well developed. The uh, Scarlet witch stuff with her helping bring all the mutants back. That's not well developed at all. Scarlet witch maybe appears in a quarter of these issues. Uh, And then the other big thing I'd say isn't well developed is the Kunlun stuff. Like why are they going to this hidden Kung Fu city? I don't know because they are. There's there's weird asides. There's weird things like they were they spend four pages recruiting Hulk in issue 11 for him just not to do anything like it's that's true. It's little things that are just 
odd about this story. So it feels both rushed and like there's not enough space to develop a lot of stuff. So I, I think it's probably to me, AVX is more uneven than Battle of the Atom. I think that's fair. I mean, if you have a central architect, I think that's another thing about having the multiple writers write this as a committee. Um, you know, I'll use another example that I think is a fair comparison is um, when Hickman did the Infinity mm-hmm. uh, series. You know, that had a large sort of intense scope to it, but it still felt more focused because it was just him. It was his vision. You know, this definitely feels like Bendis is probably like, yo, guys, we got to get Kunlun in there, <laughs> you know, and everybody at the table's like, oh, OK, well, guess we'll, we'll do hold what on. Bendis Fraction says. and Brubaker um, were writing some good, good Kunlun stuff at that time. I don't I, I know it's fun to pick on old BMB there, but he was not the one writing <laughs> the Immortal Iron Fist series. <laughs> All right. I apologize. It was not in the room for the committee, um, but I, you know, you can get that sense that like maybe some of the things that are thrown in here are there's nothing. There seems to be a little less editorial oversight than maybe should have been on this in terms of streamlining right. it. Um, okay, so if we're gonna say it's it's not as good as Battle of the Atom, how low are you looking? Do you like this because do you I like this better or worse than Phoenix Resurrection? Uh, yes, I like this better than Phoenix. Okay, I, I, I think that's fair. I think this is re-readable in, in, in doses that like, and it's very mm-hmm. memorable too. You know, it has some really cool We've stuff. We talked for nearly here. a half hour about um, it at this point and we could keep going. <laughs> like this could be the entire episode. I could do a deep, deep dive on AVX. Oh yeah. Well, and I'm sure we'll, we'll revisit it at times when the crossover stuff gets requested. But, um, I think, you know, just maybe even for purposes of time, I think I would put it above Wolverine Snicked. Um, I like Wolverine Snicked. I think it's a really fun concept and it's solidly executed, but this is a landmark miniseries. You know, it may be a bit of a mess, um, but I think it has enough value and I think it has enough consequence in terms of where the book goes that it, you know, it means something. You were going to go lower. I was going to go lower. Here's what here's what I'll Hello. counter with. Here's what I'll counter yeah. with. On just a couple spots down is the Astonishing mm-hmm. Tales Mojo World. And I think this is better than that. Okay. So between those are Amazing X-Men Quest for Nightcrawler, that Wolverine and the X-Men story where Kitty gets pregnant with a bunch of brood, and that time that the X-Men fought Dracula the first time. I was going to say, I think it's a, I think it's at least better than those three. I think, here's, here's what I'd say. Both yeah. of these stories have moments of Wolverine walking around in the snow. <laughs> One of them has Wolverine walking around in the snow in a dead bear's carcass following a trail of beer, which is kind of funny. I like that. One of them has Wolverine in... Uh, Nightcrawler giving a really big bro hug in the snow. And I think that to me, that moment stands out more to me, even in an uneven story like Quest for Nightcrawler, than some of the big moments in AVX. All right. Well, I can give you that. I mean, that is Jason Aaron sort of like uh, putting a a hat on top of his Wolverine and the X-Men run, right? right? He's trying to tie some some of that stuff together. So maybe this is our new 72? I think it is. I think after darn near a half hour <laughs> we could say that abx <laughs> is the number 72 on our list well we needed at least half that time just to explain the damn thing it's so long oh my gosh it's so long guys 
But you know what? This isn't the only time that the X-Men have gone up against the Avengers. They have gone up against other times. You're joking. Heroes fighting <laughs> heroes? I don't believe you, man. Um, so the second thing that we have on our list today is the X-Men versus the Avengers, not the Avengers versus the X-Men, um, which is the 80s. Right, the 1987 miniseries. Yeah, Roger Stern, Silvestri, uh this is this is interesting. So different than what we were just talking about. Yeah, this is weird. How much do you want to bet that they just couldn't fit the words Avengers versus the X-Men versus the Soviet super soldiers on <laughs> the title? Because that's really what this story is. I, I commented on that because somebody had asked when we were uh, live tweeting our reads about this, why Crimson Dynamo was in it. And really, the sh that's what the series should be called, because it's not X-Men versus Avengers it's X-Men and the Avengers versus the Soviet super soldiers who are just as big a player in this book. Right. So the Soviets are mad that one part of Asteroid M is falling down into the atmosphere. And then also Magneto did some stuff to Russia. He did. Sure. That one's on him. Yeah. He destroyed a town with a volcano and sank a submarine. Not sure how he did that first one, but he sure did. Well, he's want this the the short end of this is that he's wanted for war crimes that he is guilty of. Um so we <laughs> yeah, like that's an objective. Yeah. Part. So we have three teams that for various reasons are just trying to find Magneto. And that's what the first three issues of this are about. Um the fourth one goes haywire and completely off the rails for editorial reasons, um, which we can get into. Right. But because um, that one, Tom DeFalco, Jim Shooter uh, write the fourth issue and Keith Pollard does pencils though uh, at the time they needed someone for uncanny and that's where Silvestri kind of left so he probably wasn't going to be doing the fourth issue regardless but just in terms of lineups we've got a really fun uh, this is sort of you know Outback era X-Men or, or I guess a little pre-Outback you know we're, we're sort of right yeah, in that this area is, this is this is post fall of the mutants. Yes. Um, we have an interesting Avengers lineup here, which is cap she Hulk photon, captain Marvel, um, Dr. Uh, what's Druid. The, Dr. Dr. Druid, Druid. Um, Thor. who am I missing? Yeah. Thor with Thor a beard in black, black Knight. Knight. and black Knight. Here's so, the thing. Here's the thing about this Avengers lineup. It's got two of my least favorite Avengers in it. I don't <laughs> care about Black Knight at all. When they did the 50 States thing for U.S. Avengers and Black Knight was the Avenger they chose for the heart of it all, the state of Ohio, I was furious and said, I'm not buying that. They chose the worst one. Well, that that cover stunt didn't make any damn sense anyway. Captain Britain was in it. Sunspot was in it. Like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because the Captain Britain one, the Captain Britain one was actually a retailer a joke, exclusive. It was okay. a retailer exclusive variant that someone, some retailer in the UK commissioned for it. And it's such a good joke that they did keep it in there. But didn't they put Sunspot in like Missouri or something? I feel like I they... don't remember where everyone went. Look, not all of the X-Men are from all or all the Avengers are from all 50 states. They did try as hard as they could, I think. But yes. it failed. And I would have rather had just like, hey, Brian Michael Bendis, he's from Ohio. He could be our <laughs> Avengers representative. Do a photo cover. Um, that would so, have been so good. I would like that. That'd be great. Um. So the, the MacGuffin here is that uh, 
Magneto is looking for this stolen tech, which a uh, quick fun note is that these pieces of asteroid M are falling because Warlock destroyed asteroid M and his uh, descent to earth many years ago. In, um, in the middle of freaking demon bear. Yes. <laughs> so um, we don't know until the fourth issue, what that's supposed to do. So there's a little bit of an interesting thing here where Roger Stern was, you know, told to, pack his bags on the fourth issue because his whole idea was that he wanted Magneto to go back to being a silver age ish villain. Um, so I don't know if what happens in issue four is what he originally intended. No, it I, is I, specifically not. I think it's pretty much not. Um, cause the fourth issue is uh, not good. Well, I'm actually shocked that it took him that long to get that pitch like canceled. Cause Claremont was using Magneto at the time. <laughs> And well, and if you if you Claremont look at interviews clout. with, yeah, if you look at interviews with Stern, um, he says that that was the pitch for the book, and he said it was the condition for him to write this series. So I'm not sure where the mix-up came from, um, but it goes completely off the rails in the fourth issue. Involves another trial of Magneto, um, which is resolved in a very bizarre way, um, where he's brainwashing this one person instead of the entire world with his magic helmet. Yeah, it's weird. Magneto goes back to Silver Age magnets can do anything power. Oh, sure. Which just doesn't make sense. And they try, they try and make some moral conundrum of, well, maybe Magneto will turn into a villain because we don't know if he really used his powers on the judge or not, or if he was really innocent or not. By the way, Magneto is definitely guilty of some war crimes, guys. Like, not even a question. Yeah. And also their yes, but their logic, their logic is <laughs> he wasn't present for the G- Geneva Convention, <laughs> so he's not he's not uh, liable for his crimes. Isn't that what they say? Some, that he just wasn't there's there. Some, there's he wasn't some there very when we bad, wrote them. <laughs> there's some very bad stuff. And frankly, the fact that his first trial hinged on the fact that he got turned into a baby once. I feel like you could call a mistrial on that based on the fact that, no, that doesn't hold any actual uh, legal precedence or weight. No, no, it doesn't. Um, So if you're a Silvestri fan, if you like 80s X-Men and 80s Avengers, definitely check this out for at least the first three issues. Um, And then if you want to see some editorial uh, <laughs> jumping in that doesn't really do it any favors. You can check out issue number four. Yeah, this goes off the rails real dang hard. Oh. Uh, issue four is just like the first three issues to me, they're fine. They aren't bad comics, but they aren't Chris Claremont X-Men comics. No, They've this got, feels like an annual, yeah, you know, it, like that's exactly what it feels like. That's exactly what it feels like. It feels like a big annual where it's going to tell some inconsequential story, but bring in some faces you probably wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah. And that can be fun, but the the end result here is not fun uh, because of the meddling that goes on in the, in the writing or something. Well, here's the thing. I kind of think I'm glad the meddling happened because if this was the story to turn Magneto back into a antagonist, it would be deeply dissatisfying. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. But um, it does have a bear man. Can we talk about Ursa Major, the mutant who turns into a bear? Oh, yes. The uh, the the superstar of this uh, this miniseries. It's it's <laughs> not only just because he turns into a bear. 
he gets some very good lines. Like when he talks to his anti-mutant teammate and says, freaking dude, we're all mutants. What are you talking about with this bigoted stuff? <laughs> and it's funny because he's a grizzly bear saying that. He also has a has a moment where they're stuck. They're trying to escape a battleship and he can't fit through. I don't know if it's a doorway or a, a vent or something. So he has to switch back to his human form. But of course, Ursa Major runs because around he's a naked yes. as a bear. So She-Hulk. Uh, yeah. And She-Hulk is behind him trying it's to great. lift him I out. Love She-Hulk. It's, it's really I think I mentioned scene. off air. She-Hulk is one of my favorite like B-level Avengers. She's up there. I think She-Hulk's great. She's real fun. She's great. Great, great Avenger, great Fantastic Four member. Captain America is also a lot better in this story than he is Um, in AVX. Because this story goes out of its way to say, hey, by the way, Captain America is the best guy. Like, he's probably not going to cause an international incident with a volatile uh, people who have frankly been unfairly treated over the years and – you know, maybe he's not a bigoted dude. Maybe he's okay. Well, and it also has scenes where the teams listen to each other, which is fascinating where people actually stop fighting and go, Oh wait, th- we should listen to what they're saying. Maybe we don't need to punch each other. Yeah, we can figure this out in another way, which is always not always the most know. interesting thing in picture books about men with laser eyes and magic hammers. But even paying lip service to talking things through, kind of it's better it's better you should do it you should just like if you got if you got beef you know talk to people (laughs) about it work it out so we agree that this goes completely off the rails um oh yeah it falls off a cliff yeah after three issues that are you know they're fine and uh they're definitely indicative of of a time period but you know as a whole this is this is kind of a mess so how well, why, why don't we start with, uh, I'm assuming you don't like this better than AVX, or am I wrong? I don't like this better than AVX. Okay. Um, do you, let's see, I'm trying to think of some other things that are com- comparable to this. Going. What just falls apart? Yeah. It's better than IVX. Okay. All right. Well, that gives us, that gives us. A lot of room bottom of a well here um i like this how about deadly genesis do you like this better than deadly genesis yeah i think i like this better than deadly genesis uh all right i think this is maybe about on the same level as that quanin story from x-men volume two Ah, at one 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 right now on our list yeah i can get behind that all right would you put it above your beloved evolution number nine house party issue? <laughs> I mean, I think I might. <laughs> okay. I think I led with All the right. quantum thing to get us there. Yes. I've manipulated the list. All right. All right. Um, is this better than gold team goes to find Mikhail into the void? That's an interesting one because this one is three. Okay. Issues and one bad, bad issue. Yeah. Where Into the Void is like three fine issues. Like, I think the highs mm-hmm. of X-Men versus Avengers are better than Into the Void. But I think okay. the average might actually be lower. 
Yeah, I think that's probably a good place for it on the list is, is below, right below Into the Void. What do you think? I think that is perfectly fine to be our new 110 on the list. X-Men versus Avengers. Yes, it's a different thing. Yeah, they, they switched it. So now we get to have them fight again, but uh, we're going to go back in time even more. So let's let's head to the Silver Age. What issues are these? So these are the first real Avengers versus X-Men times. This is X-Men 43, 44, 45 and Avengers 53, which caps off this story. It was written by Roy the Boy, Gary Frederick and uh, Gary Frederick again and then Roy the Boy again in Avengers with pencils by George Tuska, uh, Werner Roth, uh, Don Heck, mm-hmm. and uh, John Buscema. Yeah. This is some this wild is, stuff here, man. So this is, <laughs> you know how we said Magneto may have committed some war crimes? This is super Silver yeah. Age Magneto. <laughs> this is, so oh my can God. I tell you the first interesting I, thing? If you look at the X-Men issues at the time, how they yeah. are marketed. Because X-Men's in small letters, but the mm-hmm. characters are in big letters. It says, this is a Magneto, or this is Angel, or this is Cyclops. X-Men wasn't a brand at the time. So yeah. having the X-Men fight the Avengers is an interesting choice. Yeah, well, we're coming right off of uh, Xavier faking his death for the first time. And then and then transmitting his psychic <laughs> powers to Gene because that's how it works. Uh, yes, uh, via video screen, right? Something <laughs> of the, some, something some, of the sort. Yes. Yeah, um, and uh, then there's some quick Quicksilver drama. Uh, Toad is playing like full on Igor to uh, Magneto's Doctor Frankenstein. Yes, and wow, he is just a wide eyed, like bug eyed weirdo. Toad is, uh, Magneto. Toad is odd in this book. <laughs> But yeah, Quicksilver and Wanda at this time had long been with the Avengers and then recently left because Wanda got hurt in the line of duty. And Magneto said, well, I can heal your sister. So Quicksilver Mm. goes to be an anti-villain again, leaves the Mm -hmm. Avengers. At this time, the Avengers, because can we talk about the Avengers lineup that shows up for a second? It's, It's also an interesting one that I was not expecting at this time period. When you think of the Avengers... I think the first three faces to pop up are Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man. Yes. None, None of them. Of them. <laughs> we have Wasp, Goliath, mm-hmm. Hawkeye, and going by this at the time because of political stuff, Panther. Yes. Oh, it's a strange lineup. It is a strange lineup. But yeah, anyway, the X-Men go to fight Magneto... Uh, they get captured and then Angel escapes and has a weird one-off escapade with Red Raven, a golden age character. Uh, yeah, they find he finds an island of winged people, essentially. Um, so there's a whole separate issue where he has a little mini adventure. Then we get back into it and then, you know, we get Cyclops versus Quicksilver uh the avengers show up at the end of that and some fighting ensues and it looks the x-men get mind controlled by magneto yeah and then it pretty much looks at the end of this like magneto has been dashed upon some rocks um 
<laughs> and we'll never see him again. Yeah, it's weird. There's specifically a line just to tell you the difference between Silver Age Magneto and the Magneto you have in your mind. There is a line where Cyclops says, I will not believe that Magneto would do anything benevolent for fellow mutants. Which is kind of Magneto's <laughs> whole deal. <laughs> There is a great that's a great scene uh, because, you know, if you put it in contrast with what uh, Cyclops ends up doing with Utopia, um, Quicksilver is basically talking about creating a utopia for mutants, its own sovereign nation. It, it It's a great scene to read yes. with modern continuity. It's, you know, it's weird to see how the tables um, had turned. Yes, yes. Uh, but absolutely bizarre Silver Age stuff. Uh, Cyclops has ear holes on his, uh, go, his head you? sock. Um, it is weird it's weird it just looks odd um this whole red raven thing it that never that comes up goes again off by on, the way like at least in Avengers. x-men never gets brought up again <laughs> angel just is like oh i was screwing around and i ended up on this island and this guy tells me his whole backstory about these bird people that <laughs> when he was 21 he realized oh wait i don't have wings maybe i'm not from here which is i know that's yeah. a trope that's that's a trope that only the movie Elf ever played straight, but that was a very silly movie. And Will Ferrell was allowed to be like, "Wait, I'm not an elf." No, Red Raven, Red Raven, Red Raven. <laughs> you gotta know you don't have wings. It's everyone's whole deal here. It's strange, though. Angel does get a a really quality line. It's lucky my parents just sent my monthly allowance, <laughs> which allows them passage on a cargo ship i love that panel it's great isn't always good it's rarely good actually it's very entertaining the avengers issue also features the um and i i had to remind i had forgotten this band existed but the reference to strawberry alarm clock which (laughs) it's great um hawkeye says we ain't we ain't strawberry alarm clock and i was like wait what is that again it doesn't oh, right. it doesn't land as well oh, in the, with the millennials man. no didn't you see there's a weird charlie yeah. brown thing in there too right yeah cyclops it doesn't insults make sense. someone's calling them charlie brown i think but it doesn't work very well and it doesn't make any sense because i do know what a charlie brown is he is a football kicking boy who's very bad at it <laughs> Charlie Brown is Charlie Brown is the Cyclops of the Peanuts. Prove me wrong. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. Who's who's Lucy? Uh, Emma Frost. Emma. She's a she's a therapist. She's very mean. (laughs) She probably has a crush on it on him. It's it's a whole thing. Um, Is Wolverine Pigpen? This is this is a good point. We could go all night on this one. Well, Nightcrawler um, is Linus, I feel like. Well, that's nice. I like that. I think Wolverine is Snoopy. <laughs> he goes up on his own adventures a lot of times in Great past idea. wars. He's the breakout character. He's, you know, a little bit mischievous. I like that better. Which I Gold think star. Makes, I think that makes Jubilee would... Uh, <laughs> Woodstock? Yes, I think that makes Jubilee Woodstock. All right, so <laughs> this this Silver Age story is, uh, oh boy, it, it's the messiest of the three. It, it just ends, right? Like the Avengers story, because yeah. the next X-Men thing just cuts to the X-Men doing whatever they're doing next. The Avengers story doesn't actually resolve the X-Men part besides, hey, Magneto fell into the water. Yes, 
Magneto fell onto some rocks. Good night. And that's, that's about it. So, um, you know, I, I think this is absolutely missable. You know, like, I think the thing question that I, I got from this was why do people like silver age Magneto? Why would you want to bring him back to this frenzied, uh, version of the character that is just, I I think awful. Yeah. He's Um, not good. It's, you know, when you hear Roger Stern say, we want Magneto to be back to silver age, Magneto, why? Like that doesn't sound like a great idea at all. And we talked about Um, this in the Magneto episode. I am so there for Magneto being an antagonist, but I like, Mm -hmm. you know, for all of its flaws, I like mutant Genesis Magneto where he is still recognizably the Claremont character, but his goals are opposing the X-Men versus Dr. Doom Magneto. Well, it's not, it's, it's even worse than Dr. Doom. I mean, it's not, it's like just a blah, ha, ha at the sky. Like there's no, doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason behind even what he's doing. Um, so I gotta say, I mean, in terms of ranking this, I'm looking super low on the list because I do not want to revisit. We, this. I uh, don't either. I, the one thing I do think we need to at least touch on in all the X-Men stories yeah. is that they all have backups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the oh, backup right. doesn't actually yeah. finish in these issues because there's there's mm-hmm. one backup that's hey here's cyclops's mutant powers aren't they neat which is pretty funny <laughs> yeah they're like we'll figure out ruby quartz uh somewhere okay sometime the soon. notes are great because stan <laughs> does say hey we don't know r- why ruby quartz does nerds stop bothering me i wrote it just like once <laughs> because i was like what's a color red that's the color of his visor already perfect what's a, what's rock? a rock quartz perfect <laughs> great let's go jack let's do this thing and then there's another yeah. note where Quicksilver is flying in one issue. <laughs> and Stan says, as seen in Avengers, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, I think, I think he got this power. I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> it's too so... late. We can't fix it. Just come on, guys. Just go read your stupid punch books. I I would go so far as to say that in terms of like the sloppiness of this and how like all over the map it is that I'm actually looking around the Shatterstar origin story a little bit. I can dig <laughs> like, that. I, can I don't know how low, I don't know how low uh, you're looking, hmm. but it's just a mess. You know, like it, it doesn't seem to know what the heck it's doing. You can understand why this book is well, not a bestseller. I'm trying to see where our lowest ranked silver age story. Yeah, okay, I Lucifer's better than this, and that's at 130. Oh, yeah. I liked I Lucifer weather way better than that. I mean, that kind of also goes yeah. off the rails, but it's fun. This is uh, not X this Factor, is not fun. the first arc of X Factor is probably better. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Crimson Dawn has I mean, at least it's a story that begins and ends and has hot pink electric so spiders. I in don't <laughs> I think you actually targeted a very good part because I don't know if this is worse than eve of destruction eve of destruction is very Ooh, yeah not good. i was just looking at that and weird i keep forgetting mm-hmm. that eve of destruction introduces like two or three new x-men characters who no one cares about yeah i would say that eve of destruction is more objectionable than this like this is harmless if just never visitable again like i don't want to revisit this again um but eve of destruction like i find the introduction of all those new characters who never get used again it's just like ugh. yeah it's, a, it's mm. a really right above trope. that is the shatterstar saga and mm-hmm. i don't 
know how I feel. Here's the thing, though. I care more about that era of X-Force than I do Silver Age X-Men. So yeah. I am more lenient about an objectively bad story like the Shatterstar Saga. These are both objectively bad. Like, you probably shouldn't read either of them. But I think Shatterstar Saga, it's... <laughs> Yes, yes. It's, it's a more interesting, more interesting ways where this is like everything generic about the Silver Age stuff. Like the Avengers versus X-Men parts of this are so boring. The best part of these is the like that Iceman oh, yeah. backup. And that's not good. It's just like, oh, this is kind of neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's our new 141. I think it is. Oofta. Oofta. <laughs> oofta. I did not imagine. I did. I, I was... I wasn't expecting that AVX was actually going to be the top ranked story on in this episode, but I can't <laughs> argue with our logic here. No, it's it's this one's no good. Yeah, Hachi so, uh, Machi. Whew. All right. I think that closes out an extra long episode of Battle of the Atom. Uh, if yeah, you like this episode, man. then go ahead and thank Amir Allen, who went over to patreon.com slash battle of the atom. He tossed in two bucks. And he got this whole episode. He even got bonus stuff. So you know what? Sometimes your dollar goes even farther. So oh, yeah. thank you so much. If you want to be like him, go do that. Uh, if you can't or don't want to or anything, go on to like iTunes. Give us a five-star review or even better than that. You got a friend who like likes X-Men? Maybe say, hey, dude, 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 check out these two dum-dums talk about AVX for a half hour. <laughs> It's possibly more interesting than several issues in AVX. Ooh, bold. <laughs> I said both possibly. And no, this is better than like AVX three or three and four. I could buy that. I could buy that. <laughs> hey, uh, and then if you want to get a hold of me, go over to. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Well, what is my Twitter account at Xavier Files or XavierFiles.com? And that's where all my stuff at. Hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, we've got new pages coming through December of Vision Jubes 4, Attack on the Mansion. So check those out every X-Men Monday. If you want a copy of issue number three, you can go to adamrec.bigcartel.com. $1 gets you an issue printed and mailed to your house. And uh, I, just a quick tease, because uh, we're starting to get into October, I think, with this episode or maybe we're getting close to October, but yeah, guys, we're um, recording been... in the past, like pretty hard. Yes. No, this comes out the first day of October. Okay. So I'm not sure when this is going to be released. Um, and I can't talk about it too much, but I just want to give a quick tease that, um, retcon X who we have featured on the show before, who makes music about X-Men and I have been collaborating on something. So, uh, I believe sometime in October that's going to drop. So I'm very excited for that music to, uh, to get shared with you. So I just thought I'd throw that little teaser out there. I feel sufficiently teased. So <laughs> next week we keep on this, you know, three out of four week Phoenix train a running with uh, jumping into some stories about Jean Grey, but maybe a Jean Grey who's a little bit younger, a little bit less sure of her place in the world than we have come to know and love. But until then, this has been Bow the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!